Good morning, day or night, wherever you are in the world, and welcome to the Surviving to Drive podcast. Today, we are discussing the Great Britain Grand Prix. This is your favorite source of American-based F1 conversation, presented by me, Alex, and my co-host, Tyler. Let's race into it. So, Alex, what a race that was. Yeah, that was that was an awesome race. Uh, so, I guess first, we'll kind of run through the, the order here. So, we had Sainz finishing first, first win of his career, and uh, converting the pole into a win. Uh, Perez finishing second. Uh, making a huge comeback to the field after early lap damage. Uh, Hamilton on the podium uh, was awesome to see uh, in, in Great Britain. And then uh, rounding out the rest of the finishers, we have Eclair, Alonso, Norris, Verstappen, who had that damage early on from Sonoda's car. Mick finishing in the points for the first time ever in his F1 career. Yeah. Uh, big points finish from Vettel. Then we had Magnussen in P10, uh, making a double points finish for Haas. And then in 11th, we had... Stroll, 12th Latifi, and 13th Ricardo. Yeah, and then we had quite a few DNFs this weekend, uh, starting out with Albon, Joe, and George Russell, who all went out on first first lap incidents. We had Bottas coming into the pits, uh, able to limp in and had an engine failure DNF. We had Gasly and Sonoda, who had contact with themselves, which we'll get into later. And lastly was Esteban Ocon, who forced a safety car and a little bit of spice there at the end yeah definitely uh added to some drama at the end of the race so i guess you know kind of starting out here what are some of your initial reactions to the race honestly i thought that was probably one of my favorite races of the season that was unbelievable with all the uh all the incidents all the you know different different strategies coming on on the different tires and seeing people roar back through the field and a lot of upfront action which was a lot of fun to watch yeah, I think the biggest thing for me was start to finish, there was constant constant drama, right? You had the crashes at the beginning, you had Max getting that early damage and kind of, you know, seeing how he was able to fight or not fight through the field, and then kind of that back and forth with Ferrari between, you know, should Sainz be able to clear by, and, uh, you know, Hamilton was a constant threat the whole time, and was looking quick all day, so I think from beginning to end, we saw a lot of drama, and for me, it was def- by far the best race of this season, and probably one of the best races I've ever watched. Yeah, yeah, agreed. And I think one of the main points to hammer home there is that, I mean, you look to last year's Great Britain Grand Prix and there was a ton of drama there as well, but it was all, not all, but mostly off track. And this this year's race was a lot of on track drama, not a ton of off track back and forth with the FIA, but uh, a lot of, you know, on track good racing, which honestly started even in qualifying. Yeah, I mean, the quality... Quality was a great quality uh, because of it being wet for most of it. Yeah. Uh, actually, all of it. So, um, it definitely caused a little bit of drama. Uh, the biggest point uh, and biggest piece of you know drama that we had was Latifi making it into the top ten. Yeah. Which I don't think anyone saw going into the weekend. Not at all. Um, I don't even know if he's made out of Q three yet this year. Uh, and for him to put it in the top ten, and obviously there was a little bit of you know uh, drama with it being wet and stuff, but like he did legitimately put it in the top 10 somehow I don't know he he looked incredible on Saturday he he didn't end up setting a lap in Q3 because he would have just been 10th anyways but yeah for him to even put it in the top 10 and do it legitimately that was that was awesome to see yeah something impressive some form that we've kind of been waiting for from him but yeah good to see him get into Q3 and hopefully that gives him some confidence going forward yeah definitely and then uh outside of that though uh nothing major uh, I think the the biggest thing was just to continue to see the Aston Martin struggle um, both of them going out in Q1 uh, with Stroll being last and Vettel being 18th. So that was definitely tough for them. And then um, another one that's <clears throat> just continued to be hard to see is 
uh, Ricardo just continues to struggle in qualifying uh, compared to Lando. So he had Lando qualify P6, um, looked great all day, and yeah. uh, pretty much all weekend was the best of the rest in terms of qualifying and then in the actual race as well. Um, but Ricardo just simply was lacking pace and just was nowhere near him in qualifying and ended up going out in Q2. And um, I think it really led into him kind of having a tough weekend from that. But yeah, outside of that, uh, it was a pretty straight quarter qualifying, even though it was wet, other than obviously Latifi making it into into the top 10. Yeah, I think another one of the big points that we saw all weekend and uh, definitely saw some real pace in qualifying was the Mercedes being able to to jump up in the mix, which is awesome, hopefully, for the rest of the season. And we'll, we'll get to see some good fights up front, which we saw in the race, obviously, and potentially them fighting their way back into the championship fight. Yeah, they definitely had a great weekend qualifying and, and a great re- weekend in the race, too, other than, obviously, Russell crashing out. But, um, hey, you know, Hamilton qualified in P4, and Russell in P8 was, I think, a little disappointing for him, but um, I think it just came down to, to tire strategy and stuff at the end there and how they got their tires to kind of fit in with the track, obviously, with it being wet. But Hamilton looked at all weekend, and both of them, you know, through the practices and through the quality, looked much more competitive yeah. than they have so far this year and much more... Um, like they could actually have a shot at pole and uh, deliver a performance that would kind of disrupt that top four that we normally see with the Ferraris and the Red Bulls. Yeah, yeah, and that could take us pretty well into some of our qualifying predictions. Yeah. I one of mine was that uh, the Mercedes might out qualify a Red Bull or both Red Bulls. I I agreed with you when you when you sent that over to me. I thought that was very plausible based on how the weekend had been going so far. Yeah, and I think part of that was that the Red Bulls didn't have a ton of running. They didn't get any in in FP1, and so I was, you know, kind of banking on a little bit of Great Britain speed and a little bit of pace for the Mercedes and uh, with their new upgrades being able to work, but um, only partially. I mean, Hamilton got, got up in front of Perez, but uh, Russell was down there, like you said, and Verstappen obviously able to hook up a lap. Yeah, Verstappen... Again, just like Canada, it looked great in the wet the whole weekend and uh, had a great lap as well. But um, I think your second prediction, the Ferraris running away from it, running away with it in qualifying, um, was actually pretty accurate. Obviously, you know, you had Verstappen kind of splitting them up, but Verstappen and Claire, that was a minimal difference between the two, and they were kind of back and forth the whole weekend. And then Sainz, by a good distance, put it on pole there at the end and had a great lap. Yeah, and that was surprising even for him. Yeah, that was, uh, to me, one of the bigger shocks, too, of qualifying was you know, seeing signs put it on pole, uh, his first pole ever. And, you know, the lap itself was, I think he was shocked too, you know, on the, on the onboard radio after, I think he was even surprised in himself that he was able to, to put it ahead of Max there. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think he expected that his pace was that good, which is interesting. It makes you think about how drivers are able to feel those tenths of a difference, those hundredths of a difference. And, you know, obviously their, their engineers are on with them afterwards, but the fact that he, he wasn't expecting to hear that at all is, is kind of interesting. Yeah. So, uh, kind of that goes into my pre-quality predictions. I did have signs on pull as my pre-quality prediction. Uh, that was more just to throw out something wild out there. And, you know, I was kind of hoping he would put it on pull just to, just cause it would provide a shock, I think to the race. And it's something we haven't seen before, obviously. Yeah. And so that was, he was able to come through on that and that was definitely an awesome for him to see. And it was awesome to have someone different, on pole than than max or or charles but yeah and it, it felt like a matter of time really and and even for his first race win and i know coming into this year a lot of people were discussing who's going to be you know the first non-race winner or non-pole sitter to get up there on pole and 
Norris and signs were thrown around and a lot of people I think weren't expecting to have to wait this many races into the season for one of that to, one of those to happen yeah I think a lot of times people you know in the past years we've had someone right have a surprise early on that mm-hmm. gets pulled whether it be through weather or something like that this is really the first I guess call we've had that had the potential for something wild like that to happen where you know even I thought oh like uh you know going to my other prediction I had both McLaren's in the top 10 I thought even for Lando that you know similar to kind of how we had it at Sochi last year where, you know, a, a late tire strategy call at the end or something like that to go on to slicks or yeah. some, some, something along those lines would have maybe gotten him a surprise pull, but that was the same kind of line of thinking I went with, with signs there. Yeah. And that brings us into the race with signs on pole and Verstappen chasing after him. And, uh, we had some pretty interesting and pretty not so ideal pre-race predictions. Do you want to start with yours? Yeah, I can go ahead and start with mine. So I'll start with the uh, the finishing order. So I had Verstappen, Sainz, and Perez. Um, the reason for that is I just figured, even though Sainz had put it on pole, that Verstappen had kind of looked the quickest all weekend in the wet and tended to perform really well in the wet, and I thought he would have the most pace and uh, he would deliver there because, you know, Silverstone is a very fast track and a lot of high speed, so I yeah. figured they'd perform best. And then Sainz, I was... Uh, just thinking with him being having it on pole that uh, he would end up putting in second, which he ended up getting first, and then Perez ended up getting second, but I had him going third. Um, and then I would have, if we would have gone deeper, I would have had Leclerc fourth. Um, yeah. And the reason for that is uh, normally I would have thought that Ferrari would have prioritized him and put him over signs, but they just completely bungled his strategy again this week. So um, that's why I would have had him fourth is because I figured they'd probably bungle his strategy again. Um, and then for my two actual race predictions, I had Russell top five streak ending, which actually did come true. Uh, I did not expect you to be through that epic of a DNF. Yeah. Um, I thought it would just have been that it would have been the two Red Bulls, two Ferraris, and then Hamilton would have finished in that top five too, which would have bumped him out. Yeah. Um, so that I did get correct. And then the other prediction I had was that both the Alfa Romeos would finish in the top 10. Uh, they looked pretty decent. Uh in qualifying, uh, and I thought they had a good ca- good car for the race, and I just thought they seemed to be kind of more on form lately that they would have a good performance. But obviously, Zoe had that epic crash, and then Bottas ended up having an engine failure. So, yeah, just an unlucky weekend for them all around. But uh, my top three were Max, Sainz, and Leclerc, and kind of similar reasoning with you. I know we talked about our quality predictions, and I felt that Ferrari was going to run away with it, and they were looking strong all weekend. So. Not a bad prediction there, and obviously Sainz and Leclerc are both ending up in the top four. Um, Verstappen having a little bit less of luck this weekend during the race, but um, still not too bad on both of our ends. Uh, My other predictions were Latifi finishing below Albon, and uh, as we've talked about in weeks prior, uh, Latifi not really having the pace and surprisingly found it somewhere in qualifying, but... I uh, wasn't really expecting that to show through in the dry uh, this weekend during the race. But uh, Albon didn't really have a chance to to get past him too easily there, no. did he? And then lastly, I had George top five a little bit to, to give us a little run for our money there, having uh, uh, contradicting predictions. But I was also figuring, you know, Great Britain race, his home race, he, he's got to have some familiarity with the track and um, was hoping he'd be able to maybe stick it up there, especially with the pace that they've been able to find recently. Yeah, and who knows? I think he definitely could have had he been able to actually finish the race or complete any laps of it at True. all. It definitely could have happened. And same thing with the Latifi finishing below Albon. I think he probably would have finished below Albon if he had the if Albon had the chance to race. But yeah, you know, both of those predictions died within yeah. the first 
100 yards. Yeah. Well, that takes us into, I mean, starting off the race. Let's maybe recap a little bit of that. We had quite a tough run down to turn one, didn't we? Yes, yes. So for those of you that didn't watch, uh, you know, that, that run down to turn one, we had Max getting a great start right off the bump. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was on the soft tires, which definitely made a difference compared to science being on the mediums. So he was able to get past right away. Um, and then Hamilton had one of, if not the best race starts I've ever he, seen. It it almost looked like he was cheating. I don't. Yeah. I don't. It yeah, was, he flew off the start. It, he timed it so perfectly and was able to go from fifth to third in an instant. Yeah. Um, and so basically through the top, I don't know, six or seven, we didn't have too much drama. I guess through Alonzo, we didn't, because uh, that's who qualified seventh. They kind of all got away cleanly other than, you know, Max getting ahead and Lewis making up a few places. But they got around that through that first turn. Um, and then behind them is just complete chaos. Yeah. So uh, Gasly uh, kind of got squeezed a little bit by Zoe. And mm-hmm. then Gasly ran into Russell, who then ran back into Zoe. And then we saw Zoe have one of the most epic crashes ever where he just flipped over a bunch. Yeah. Going into the fence, into the grandstand, basically. Yeah, and it was, I think, the the... Watching the commentary and the actual showing of it over television was a little reminiscent of the Grosjean crash. When we watched lap one, we watched the live, and in the background, you kind of see just utter chaos, and then they cut away from it, and you don't see it for for a few minutes as they discuss a red flag, potential strategies for the front runners, and uh, we kind of didn't hear about it for a few minutes, which was a little bit scary. And then when they did come on, it all it was was Joe is conscious. You know, it wasn't really like a he's okay, but um, yeah, luckily moving forward, progressing through the race, we did get get word that he was okay, and uh, it was just a crazy crash. Yeah, that was one of the more insane things I've ever seen, and it to me it's wild because those those cars are so heavy, they're so big, yeah, and it just flew through the air like it was made of cardboard. Like yeah, it, uh, so that was to me probably one of the most wild cl- crashes that I've ever seen, um, and then. That crash caused pretty much the rest of the field to have some kind of crash from that impact. Yeah. Uh, you know, Russell, Zoe, and Albon were the only ones not to finish. Um, Albon ended up just getting tossed around basically by everybody because he spun and then yeah. pretty much every car behind hit him and lost their front wing. So you had Sonoda and Seb and all kind of other people that ended up running into Albon and basically tossing him down into turn one. Yeah, Seb seemed to get away with it, though. He went straight into the back of, of Albon, pushing him to the right and doing a little turn along the barriers. And then, uh, obviously, Albon got clipped by, I know, Sonoda went into him pretty hard, and I think one other car went into him. But, um, you know, hearing about it afterwards, Albon getting fl- uh, flown over to a hospital and Joe luckily being okay and staying at pit lane and, and yeah. getting released from medical, which was crazy after, you know, he flipped upside down going through gravel you would think that would be pretty tough on him and especially getting thrown up over the tire barrier that's meant to protect a crash and and really just taking it into the the chain fence there and dropping down pretty hard you would think he would have had a rougher ride than Albon but I guess the quick nature of Albon's crash really really got to him but uh, luckily they're both okay and obviously going from there threw out the red flags and had a had a pretty lengthy red flag wait for the restart yeah it ended up being i think about an hour that we actually waited for them to get zoe's car cleared and get russell's car cleared and albon's car cleared because they had to move all of them off the track and yeah um, i think another kind of cool thing to see that we didn't touch on uh, as soon as zoe got in that accident um 
and they showed it on F1 TV, Russell getting out of his car and just immediately sprinting over to check if he was okay. Yeah, and that brought up some controversy uh, with with George trying to restart with the red flag and potentially going and getting a, a new set of tires and being able to start the rest of the race. But, you know, him him jumping out of the car came for some FIA call not to restart, and then we saw him arguing with some representatives with the marshals and and trying to get that car off the off the flatbed and back to the pits, but but no luck for him. Yeah, I think it would have been really interesting too if he would have been able to restart because um, basically what happened was because one sector was not finished with a lap, they ended up you have to revert back basically to whatever the previous previous lap's order was, which would have been the starting grid order, which is what they ended up doing. So yeah. you know Hamilton getting up to third that didn't matter. He started back down in uh, in fourth again, and then you had no you had. Uh, Norris starting in his original position, uh, Alonso starting in his original position, Verstappen didn't end, get to end up starting ahead of signs, like he started behind him, and so Russell would have started in eighth, not last, which could have made things interesting. Yeah, and we saw a different tire strategy going into the second restart. We had Max on the softs in the beginning, trying to get a jump on, on signs and reverting back to the mediums during the second restart. Yeah, that was definitely interesting to see, I think, the contrasting uh, strategies that the different teams went with to start the race versus after that initial first lap happened. Um, so going into the second restart, um, I think a lot of people were fearful, at least probably on the Ferrari side of things, that Max is going to end up getting past Science again. Now, obviously, they both started on the medium tire this time, but yeah. uh, it was close. Uh, Carlos ended up kind of closing the door on him, and it was that was really nice to see from Carlos. It was from really hard racing. It was kind of similar to the style of racing that we've seen from Max Yeah, uh, kind of at race starts, and he really, you know, asserted himself and got the elbows out there at the beginning and was able to keep the lead yeah it was an awesome restart to watch i mean we saw carlos closing the door on max and then them continuing to fight and some fighting behind him and then we saw uh you know a couple turns later four wide going through that turn and uh and that's when some some contact happened with perez trying to get a jump into max and then we saw leclerc trying to jump through perez and uh all kind of getting tangled and stumbling over each other and causing some chaos other than Carlos who got away cleanly. Yeah, that was definitely a very exciting restart and through that I think it was turn turn three or four where you had Leclerc lose part of his wing, yeah. uh, I think the right end plate, and then Perez lose more of his wing enough that he ended up having to box shortly after that. Yeah. Um, but Leclerc ended up kind of fighting through that and just kept that wing for the rest of the race. Uh, so that kind of started off the drama right there for the rest of that race was that, that kind of first that restarted lap yeah so a few of them not getting away too cleanly but obviously we had carlos signs leading him out and max verstappen hunting him down pretty closely and you know we get into lap 13 pretty shortly thereafter and carlos makes a big mistake and it almost looked like there was something wrong with his car there for a second but we saw him get away cleanly after that after max was able to overtake him pretty easily with him running off the road and enjoying a nice gravel ride again yeah, Car- nobody loves the gravel more than Carlos. Yeah. Not a person on this grid loves the gravel more. That was one of those ones where as soon as it happens, I think you had a similar reaction where it's like, oh, no, like, here we go again. Like, he had this pull. He was looking good, and he just couldn't. He just made an error, made a mistake. Yeah. Uh, but shortly after that, lap 13 incident, we had Max end up getting a puncture. So out of nowhere on the broadcast, all of a sudden, Signs and Leclerc, who were about a second each behind yeah. Uh, Verstappen ended up passing him. Yeah. And we find out it's because Max had run over a big piece of debris from the Alphatori from Sonoda's car. Mm-hmm. That ended up uh, giving him a puncture in his right rear, I believe, and then also 
it got like lodged into the back of his car and completely messed up the rear diffuser too. Yeah, and we saw him lose some downforce and miraculously was able to bring that car home P7 when we thought he was sliding back pretty quick and potentially going to end up out of the points. But, you know, a great drive by him to keep it in front of a lot of a lot of cars throughout the, the rest of the race, especially with the amount of chaos and catching up that cars were able to do under safety car. Yeah, I think uh, uh, me personally, I thought for sure he'd fall out of the top 10. Uh, he just had no pace at all after that. Yeah. Uh, with that piece being lodged in there and just was very slow and you know it messed up his whole pit strategy too obviously having to pit earlier than he expected and uh, i i thought most of the cars would be able to get past him but he definitely held his own in p7 there uh kind of going back to the other red bull that took some early damage perez yeah uh, he ended up falling down only the last of the cars that were in the race after pitting pretty early to get that wing fixed um, and I think both of us probably thought that he would, you know, fight his way back into the top 10 for sure, but I definitely did not see him getting all the way back up to P2. Yeah, and that safety car helped a little bit, obviously, but it was pretty impressive, and I, I was surprised watching that we weren't getting as much TV time from him with all the passes that he had. I feel like I didn't see too much of him coming back through the field, and I, I think a lot of that was attributed to different tire strategies. He was obviously going long on a second stint when a lot of other cars were having to go in and pit for, for new tires, but... Yeah, a very, very good race on his part, able to storm all the way back up in the field and, and obviously be in that winning podium fight there at the end. Yeah, I think the thing that helped him the most was uh, ended up being that Ocon safety car there mm-hmm. near the end, I think around lap 40, 42, somewhere in there. Um, Ocon's engine ended up just completely dying out, and he was having a great race too. I think he was in P7 at the time and was fighting back, you know, fighting up through the field and I think was on for a top side of the finish, but uh, the engine just died on him. Uh, and that was like a godsend for Perez because at that point, I think if the race, he wouldn't have had that, he would have ended up, he still would have been probably top five, but um, he was far enough back, right? And the tires he was on, he wasn't going to pit again, obviously. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, this ended up bringing everybody in this safety car. It, um, so we had Perez pit for softs. We had Hamilton who had just gone long in his mediums and pit for hard shortly before this. I think after six or seven laps, pit for the softs then yeah. to finish the race on. Um, so he came out in, uh, you know, P3, Perez was in P4, uh, and then you had Leclerc and Sainz kind of, the entire race basically, Sainz had a little bit slower pace than Leclerc, mm-hmm. uh, and they finally, through via pit stop, let Leclerc go by, basically. Yeah. So I thought that was really interesting because he had that broken front wing, too. I didn't really understand how he was so much faster, but he ended up getting let by via the pit stop, and then uh, when the safety car happened, you would have assumed they would have brought both of them in, yeah. Um, but they ended up keeping Leclerc out because they didn't think they could have uh, double stacked it. And so they brought signs in for the softs. Then you had, uh, after the safety car restart, you had basically Leclerc on super old hearts and then signs Perez and Hamilton in order, you know, on softs that were fresh mm-hmm. for the rest of the race. Yeah. And it's interesting to look at Ferrari's strategy, right? We, we know all these teams have great strategy teams, but it seems like Ferrari's been very conservative throughout a lot of races and and we saw them like you were mentioning at the beginning when they were we had Leclerc I think coming up to the back of Carlos and having more pace and on the radio saying you know let me go let me go and Carlos obviously not fully able to match the pace and they had to throw in a pit stop there to to differentiate those strategies and then again at the end of the race we saw Carlos coming up to the back of Leclerc and not really sure what to do a little bit hesitant on who to bring in and they ended up bringing in Carlos and then 
an interesting kind of call for the strategy on the restart. Yeah, so uh, basically the, on the team radio, Ferrari had come in and said to signs to basically kind of back off 10 car lengths, which is the max you can be in, under a safety car behind the car in front, to give Leclerc some breathing room yeah. and hoping that they could just finish at a 1-2. But signs rightfully so, did not want to do that, as he shouldn't have, because you know the two cars behind him were just as fast, if not faster, and also on new sauce. Yeah. So he went right up on him and... He ended up getting past Leclerc pretty quickly. Uh, and then that led into what was probably the best battle of the season so far between Leclerc, uh, Hamilton, and Perez. So we basically saw those three go back and forth for the rest of the race. Uh, Hamilton was a little slow off the restart because he had a lot of trouble getting the tires warmed up, which yeah. I think seems to be a problem that Merck has, Merck has the entire year. In Definitely. qualifying, in the race, whatever it may be, they really seem to struggle to get the tires warm. Mm-hmm. So Hamilton kind of got past and dropped down into... I guess it would have been fourth place kind of right off the bat there. But, um, yeah. So we saw signs get passed early and ended up being signs Leclerc, Perez, Hamilton in that order. And then just an awesome battle the rest of the way. Yeah, it was, it was awesome to watch. And we saw, you know, a lot of back and forth and one of the highlight moves, obviously from, from Mercedes and Hamilton coming right through the front. And we had a little bit of com- controversy with, I think it was Leclerc going off and Perez up there as well. And uh, yeah, Hamilton stormed through, but then, you know, we had Perez come back at him at the end of that straight and put him under pressure, which was, which was really fun to watch. But you know, we had ten laps of that, and it was just, yeah, just so much fun to watch them go back and forth and uh, have to be creative on how they're going to overtake, and uh, all of them on on similar age tires and similar performance, and uh, just a good way to round out the race. Yeah, I think it was it was nice to see. You know, several different cars involved, whereas in the year past, you might have had just Hamilton Vettel or Hamilton Verstappen kind of going back and forth. It was nice to see, you know, three or four people kind of get into it. And yeah. I think there were a lot of, there was a lot of drama around with FIA in those last couple of laps, too, because, you know, all year up to, up to Great Britain, we had had, they had instituted this idea of like strict corner cutting rules and like you can't go outside the racing lines and like there's, you know, the white lines on the edge of the track, like that's the boundary, you can't go off. And we saw multiple incidents where, you know, <clears throat> on that Hamilton double overtake where Perez went cut the corner yeah, and obviously gained an advantage from it. And then uh, Leclerc went wide and also gained an advantage. Uh, and then Hamilton did one of the most impressive overtakes I've ever seen where he basically, you know, got on the brakes early and then undercut both of them. Uh, but then as Hamilton gets in the second, then we see Perez push him off twice. Mm-hmm. And then Leclerc tried to push Perez off also. And then after the race, we saw no penalties, no yeah. discipline at all for any of those, which was really confusing because up to, up to this point in the year, they had been very strict with all that. Yeah, we saw an incident noted, but but nothing to come of that. And yeah, like you said, Hamilton getting past sent the crowd absolutely wild, which was amazing to yeah. see. And then, yeah, a little bit of pushback, which, you know, aggressive racing is some of it. And I yeah. think, um, you know, in the instance where Leclerc was going off, I don't think he gained a ton of advantage. Uh, and obviously didn't gain enough lasting advantage, still finishing in fourth. But, you know, uh, all that squabble was going on. We saw Carlos take those last 10 laps and stay ahead with a decent margin, enough to, to finish and no more gravel finding and able to pull out the win. Yeah, his first win of his career, definitely, I think everyone was happy to see that. Uh, yeah. Someone who was super deserving of it. And it, I think, you know, like Lando's after the race, like finally, like he finally won a race. I think that was just nice to see him convert that pole and, he drove great there, there at the end and just pulled away when he needed to. Um, I think something interesting too that you know, outside of you know him winning and that kind of that battle at the end was the battle we saw for P seven between 
between Max and Mick. Yeah. Right. So who would have thought, you know, at the beginning of the year, even going into this race set, you know, you would see a Haas battling Max for P7. Yeah. And it was awesome. They went, they went back and forth the whole time. And, um, I know you have some thoughts on it, but yeah, it was a little, I mean, you know, we heard Vettel behind screaming about it and obviously Mick has been in the points before looking for a good finish and he was smart enough to back out of it when Max was closing the door pretty firmly, I, I believe. But, um, yeah, I think overall it was it was a good battle, fun to watch uh, through the last lap, especially, and um, maybe not the result that everybody was hoping for, but uh, you know, seeing Mick get points and a double Haas finish, and uh, you know, the team overtaking Aston Martin was was awesome to see. Yeah, that was a big weekend for Haas. You know, the double points. I think just getting some momentum back for them going into the rest of the season uh, because they obviously had that great start, and then like we talked about, have just really been nowhere in the past few races. Yeah. Um, for them to get a double points finish and move back into, into P eight and the constructors and really f- just for Mick to finally get those points and finally get, get that off his shoulder. Right. Cause mm-hmm. he had been shouldering that for so long. Like, you know, he's been here a year. He's, we just haven't seen any progress really. You know, there's been a lot of kind of doubt creeping in this year in terms of like, will we be back next year? He just keeps not executing and yeah. getting these point finishes or getting unlucky and to see him finally get those points was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And there was a lot of overall standings changes that I think, uh, kind of spice up the season a little bit. You know, we had obviously Haas overtaking Aston Martin, especially after Aston Martin came up up with that, uh, really big package that they brought the last few races and have been looking really quick and just haven't been able to, to bag any points recently. Yeah. I mean the, the green Red Bull, they were called in Baku that, that with the package they brought was very similar to what, you know, Red Bull has put out, but they've just done nothing since then you yeah know? we had Vettel finishing the points here at Silverstone which was nice but it was you know obviously through crashes and things like that yeah um but in terms of qualifying and pace they were just nowhere to be found so they continue to regress um so yeah it was good for Haas and then I think another kind of big thing in the standings changed was signs finally getting past Russell yeah I don't think a lot of people realize like that Russell had been in fourth for so long and the Sainz, consistency you know he's just been so consistent with him not being able to finish the race today yeah, you know, signs ended up passing him. And beyond that, with the win, he's able to to close the gap to Charles. I mean, you know, eleven points between the two, and that's going to create for for quite an interesting spot for Ferrari to be in in general during race calls, and uh, especially just throughout the rest of the season with how last year went, signs finishing above Leclerc. But uh, we'll keep a close eye on that one as well. And then Perez closing the gap to Max, not. Not as much, but uh, a little you know, bit. Yeah, definitely still still interesting to see with Max still a good thirty odd points up there, and then um, I think the last big one of of the of the driver standings is Latifi finally overtaking Hulkenberg and getting up into twentieth place. Yes, yeah, in our, our weekly Latifi segment, I think this is. I mean, this is Latifi's best weekend overall of the entire season. This is probably his best weekend in a while, where. Probably since Hungary of last year when he got in the points yeah. for the first time, and that was only because half the cars didn't finish, but he still got the points. That helps. Um, so, you know, he qualified 10th and obviously didn't have the pace in the race, but it did enough to move into 20th in the driver's standings so ahead of Hulkenberg. Um, and I think another interesting thing, too, besides, you know, joking around about Lativi is I think the if you look at the top of the standings, I think Ferrari finally had a weekend where they were comparable to Red Bull and like yeah. were able to outscore them. And so we didn't see that gap open up as much. And if 
probably does kind of bring some upgrades or something we could to them kind of back in the fight. And then along with that, you know, with even with George not finishing, you know, Lewis getting a getting on the podium and, you know, Merck being 60 points away from Ferrari. Yeah. You know, we're one good Merck weekend and one bad Ferrari weekend away from it being a close battle for second there. Yeah. And so I think that's really interesting to see. And then also kind of in the midfield, we're starting to see this kind of three-way battle between Alfa Romeo, Alpine, and McLaren kind of really take shape as McLaren's kind of regressed and Alpine and Alfa Romeo kind of, you know, progressed more towards that that fourth spot, basically battling for, like, the best of the rest. So yeah. I think that's something to watch going through the rest of the season. Yeah, we have Alfa Romeo, I mean, you know, fell, fell behind a little bit with a, with a no-finishing car this weekend, but they have made some steps forward and some good performances from Joe and, uh, you know, especially with him now out qualifying Bottas three times in a row and putting in points performances and Bottas being able to capitalize when he can. I think they're able to put put up a pretty good fight at the moment and we'll see how that progresses. But yeah, like you said, Al- Alpine's really taken a big step forward. We see Alonso throwing up some really rapid times, especially, I mean, obviously in practices when it's impressive, but not when the yeah. points are being bagged, but still able to finish top 10 pretty consistently so far yeah i think they've they've definitely asserted themselves at least for me in the last couple of weeks is that that best of the rest team as mclaren continues to regress yeah um i think that kind of goes into kind of our driver highlights for the weekend uh, obviously you know one of the bigger ones the driver highlights is latifi and quality putting it putting it in the top 10 but uh for me i think another one that just continues to come up is uh the difference between the two mclaren drivers right so yeah. We're seeing McLaren continue to put out a car that's just average. It's mm-hmm. not bad, but it's just not great. Um, you know, they have their moments during the year, but we continue to see big differences between Ricardo and Norris in qualifying and the race. Yeah. And so they're giving them a car that is should be a points-getting car every single weekend. Uh, and Norris continues to get the most out of it, a lot of times being the best of the rest, qualifying in that, you know, 6, 7, 8 range, and then finishing the race there as well. Whereas Ricardo, we're seeing him go out in Q2 almost every time, 13th, 14th, something like that. And then he's finishing in 13th, 14th. Um, you know, at Silverstone, he just had no, there was just no pace. I don't, uh, I know after they discussed, they really didn't know what was wrong and why it was happening, but he just made no progress for the field. Whereas Norris has taken the car and at least keeping it competitive. And, you know, had they not had that kind of pit stop blunder there at the end where they didn't pit him and Alonso got to pit him in the safety car, he probably would have finished fifth. Yeah. Um, so that kind of goes into my, you know, top three drivers weekend. So one of the drivers I had was Lando is in the top three. I think all weekend he was just consistent through the practices, into qualifying in the wet, and then in the race itself he stuck it right around P6, which is, you know, I expected him going in. Like, I always expect, like, okay, there's, you're going to have the Mercedes, the Red Bull, the Ferrari, those three kind of up there, and then it's like who's going to fight for that 7-8 position somewhere out there. Yeah. Uh, and so he was able to keep it there and, keep it consistent all weekend and finish in p6 and kind of maximize his points he could have gotten um and then along with that i also had vettel uh obviously aston martin has really struggled in qualifying and got a little lucky with there being so many dnfs this race but he did capitalize on it and especially having that early that early damage on uh, at the beginning and you know having just some some minor issues throughout the race he was able to still put it in the points and finish in p9 yeah uh and then my other driver uh, i had to go with lewis just because he the whole weekend was at the top of his game as he always is here at Silverstone and just looked awesome during the race was for 95% of it the fastest guy he was setting fastest laps 
left and right, which was so impressive to see. Every lap was the fastest lap. Yeah. And then had one of the best overtakes of the season so far. Yeah, it was really fun to watch him put in all those fastest laps when he was coming back up to the Ferraris while they were, you know, like we talked about earlier, being conservative and just kind of letting them lap and lap and lap and Hamilton just slowly decreasing the gap between them. But, yeah, definitely a great weekend from him and, and Vettel and Norris as well. Uh, my first one has to be signs i think uh obviously his first win put it on pole just had a great overall weekend uh, you know he had that little error going off and and putting it into the gravel but the ability to hold himself together and put him back on the track and and put in some really good laps and then even at the end i think his personal call back to the team saying you know i am able to do this i should be able to do this and i will do this and then going out and doing it uh was it was really really good to see and hopefully his confidence going forward with his first win will be uh, a lot of fun to watch uh, my second driver i i gotta say mick you know he had a not so great qualifying and you know hasn't had many great qualifyings but his ability to just bring it around cleanly and uh you know stay smart when it came down to that last lap with max and uh, just keep it clean and bag some points for the team and uh, you know, it was really good to watch him just get racing there at the end. And then lastly, I had to go with Perez because of his storm back through the field and just a very consistent driver. And although, you know, his qualifying performances might not be the greatest, even though he does have flashes of, you know, great putting it on poles, yeah. um, you know, his races are always just very consistent and very, very good, you know, putting it up in podium places consistently. And, you know, the fact that he's able to fight up there with, the likes of Leclerc and Carlos and Max, people that we've always thought were, uh, you know, really standouts. And as Perez is getting older in his career, you know, he's, he's always been a great driver, but seeing him actually duke it out with these, with these younger guys is a lot of fun to watch. Yeah. So I think overall it was a great weekend, uh, a great race. I think we saw a lot of drama from be beginning to end and definitely one of, if not the best race I've ever watched live, uh, just a lot of excitement. Um, but I think we also want to jump into kind of the different things that happened outside of the track, uh, both before and after the weekend. Um, so one of the initial things that kind of came out from this weekend was uh, Red Bull and Ferrari kind of abusing the Flexi 4 rules. Yeah. Um, and so this is something that uh, the FIA has obviously been looking at and we've kind of discussed in the past couple episodes of what they're going to do with porpoising. Uh, you know, Mercedes have had so much trouble with it. All the teams have struggled with it to some degree, but some more than others. Um, but I came out this weekend at the, the reason that Ferrari and Red Bull had not been struggling as much is they found some way to make this flexi four, which basically exploited the rules. Um, and because of that, their poor thing wasn't as bad. So to kind of explain it in higher level terms, basically the floor was able to like, it was almost like, I don't know if you remember the, the Williams car from back in like the nineties that had the active suspension, mm-hmm. but it was kind of similar to that idea where, uh, the car basically like could figure out when it was bouncing too much and the floor would adjust itself. Um, and there was like a gray area in the rules as to whether or not the, like the teams could actually u- do this. Yeah. And so they did it because there wasn't anything explicitly saying they couldn't do it. Um, and so that's why Mercedes had struggled with it so much, you know, total ended up coming out and saying, you know, we didn't do this. We didn't want to exploit it. Like we knew we couldn't do this. So like they ended up not doing it. And then Ferrari and Red Bull ended up doing it. So I think, that's definitely something to look out for kind of going forward is because, you know, the news came out then that the FIA is going to try to institute 
some kind of consistent standard across the board by the French the French GP. Yeah. And so how that performance is going to be affected, affected for Ferrari and Red Bull? Uh, does that bring them back towards Mercedes? Does it you know bring Mercedes up towards them? What what exactly does that cause? Yeah. Um, and then other than that, I think the big news coming out from this weekend uh, was ESPN getting the rights to continue to broadcast Formula One uh, in the United States. Uh, so for those of you that don't know, which I didn't even know this before, the original deal that they had had up to this point for the TV was that ESPN basically paid Formula One $5 million a year only to broadcast it. Um, Formula One has become so popular, though, in the last couple of years that ES- the rate has now gone up to $70 million a year yeah. for them to actually broadcast the Formula One races. So I think that's a good thing. I think overall it shows how big the sport is growing here in the United States. And obviously, you know, we want to see more and more people getting F1 TV and getting more involved and stuff. But even ESPN getting the deal and it's, you know, the biggest sports channel here and people being able to tune in every week and, and watch the race, I think that's huge. So them doing that deal definitely shows how much is expanding and how much is growing here in the States. Yeah, and it's interesting to think about, especially comparing to other of the major sports in the States here. You know, we have a lot of these bigger agencies that are performing and uh, having deals with ESPN or CBS or, you know, all these different TV streaming channels. But with F1, they have such a different structure with their F1 Live and the ability for anybody to go in and be able to consume all of that content and all of the race and, and everything like that makes it very different. And uh, I think it's awesome that ESPN is still wanting to go after that those rights and be able to provide that to uh, Americans. Yeah, and I think it's the the best part about it is and going into the future for ESPN and for everybody watching is that because most of the races are in Europe or Asia or, or overseas, because of the time zone differences, a lot of them are on a Sunday morning at nine o'clock yeah. and there's nothing else on at that time. So yeah. I think it definitely helps F1 here in the States because you're not going to lose people to the NFL or different uh, sports like that because there's nothing on TV here sports wise at nine o'clock in the morning. It's the only thing you can watch. And so I think that's definitely going to help to continue to bring more fans as well as more and more people find out, oh, I don't have to actually miss, you know, football or basketball or something like that. That is probably more, obviously more popular here Yeah. Uh, to the general TV consumer. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely limits the, the conflict. So that's very interesting. Uh, moving forward, I think we want to get back to one of our segments of funny happenings of the weekend and maybe go into to some of the things that gave us a laugh. Uh, and I'll, I'll start off specifically with... Uh, the infamous picture of Perez's dad kissing Hamilton's dad, looking up at their sons up on the podium, and then just a casual Tom Cruise off to the side looking at that. Yes, yeah, that was. It's always awesome to see Tom Cruise at the track or any of those celebrities. I know he was with the Mercedes drivers last year as well. Yep. Uh, when Lewis won, and specifically Silverstone, I know there's a lot of celebrities out, right? And mm-hmm. We always love the the Martin Martin Brundle like pre race grid walk. It was another, them all. another great, great one this week, yeah, where he just completely confuses everyone, and most people don't even know who he is. Um, you know, we saw a couple of, couple of soccer guys like Trent Alexander-Arnold. We saw, you know, other celebrities like Gordon Ramsay was on, and he was an awesome interview, too, where just talking to him and Martin Brundle, you know, conversating with him. And, uh, you know, in the past, we also have, you know, always seen these great moments where you know, Brundle has tried to interview these people that have no interest at all or no idea, or he doesn't know who they are. I mean, obviously at Miami we had where he interviewed Paul Van Caro and thought he was Patrick, Patrick Mahomes. Mahomes. So I think that's always a great part trying to the weekend. It always brings funny happenings in itself. But yeah, like you said, seeing Tom Cruiser at the end with Perez kissing Hamilton's dad or Perez's dad kissing Hamilton's dad 
just an all-time picture and an all-time visual. And I mean, you can't like that's only something Formula One's going to bring. Where you could get a picture like that, where two of the guys at the peak of their sport are on the podium, and then it's just Tom Cruise there hanging out with their dads. Yeah, and Perez's dad is is such a character, man. I love I love watching that guy watch his son. You know, it, it gives you. A, Gives you chills just looking at him and his excitement for the sport. And especially, you know, we see a lot of dads in the sport that have been a part of it or uh, have some relation to it or raced in it. And, um, you know, Perez's dad not having raced in it and being around, you know, all of that celebration and, yeah. and being a big part of it. Uh, just a ton of fun to watch. Oh, yeah. He's just like a fan, just like anybody. I mean, he reacts the same way as race that like any of us that you or I would react if we were at an F1 race. Like he just loves it. He loves the sport. He yeah. loves cheering for his son, but more than that, I think he just loves cheering for everybody. Yeah. Like he was just as happy for Lewis and Carlos and everybody on the podium yeah. as his own son being up there. And so I think that was awesome to see just the positivity around all that. And Definitely. Yeah, and we you know, we see him dancing a lot, and uh, I think the AlphaTauris took note this weekend. Yes, the AlphaTauris did a little dancing themselves. So uh, for those of you that didn't watch the race pretty early on, both the Alcatraz were in the points. I think uh, Sonoda was P7 and Gasly was P8 pretty early on in the race. And then we saw Sonoda try to, or Gasly and Sonoda basically try to pass each other and race each other. And Sonoda ended up hitting Gasly and they ended up spinning out. And so it was actually funny. I was actually watching the race with a couple buddies at a brewery here. And uh, as we're watching it, the one guy's a big Alcatraz guy. And he's like, oh, they must have pitted. Like, that's great. And I was like, oh, it's weird that they pitted on the softs again. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because the race broadcast didn't show it at all. And then after like 10 minutes, we finally get a replay that no, they had not pitted. They had just dropped back all the way to the back of the field because they had run into each other and done some synchronized spinning. Yeah, it's just, I mean, another weekend of a Sonoda incident and really unfortunate this time that he has to take out of anybody, his teammate, especially, you know, trying to dive bomb on, onto Gasly there and loses the rear. And, you know, you could hear him just really mad at himself and uh, you know it's been interesting to see his development within the the Red Bull team and the discipline that he's had and um, I think we can start to see it coming out a little bit more and he's expecting a little bit more of himself now but yeah definitely a, a pretty funny incident there and and you know obviously not if you're an AlphaTauri fan but uh, funny to watch them spinning together. Oh, yeah. I mean it was it was just an all-time moment while we were all there with with him being there as well and basically rubbing it in and the fact that they had been looking so good this weekend both of them and were definitely on for a point finish had the pace for it and then ultimately because of this incident both they both of them ended up dnfing because they had different mechanical problems and you know gas ended up getting shown that that black and orange flag which is yeah been a common thing this year yeah what's up with that i don't i don't know I've, again like we talked about with baku that i think that was the first time we ever saw it with Sonoda. Yeah. i've never even heard it before and now we've seen it every race since where i know magnuson had to come in at canada for it uh and then now here at great britain uh Sonoda and gas i think both ended up getting it ultimately but they both ended up dnfing from the race because of failures from this crash that they had with each other yeah back to the black and white or the black and orange thing it's interesting to think about and i'd love to hear maybe some uh some of the professional opinions on whether that's down to more strict fia rulings and and them bringing out the flags or if it's really just uh teams not wanting to come in outside of their pit window yeah and i think it's you know it's almost like a gray area too because like what const like where's the line where do you draw the line right yeah like, well, Claire drove around with, like, a partially broken wing. Obviously, it ended up being fine, but, like, 
I don't know, could the wing have just like broken more if he would have yeah, done and, it worse? Or like, you know, why did Gasly have to come in for his black and orange flag, but somebody else might ha- not have to come in for a similar incident? And we saw Magnuson last weekend in Canada being able to go around a few more laps before they threw it out for him. And, you know, it was, it was hanging off pretty loose there the entire time. So, yeah, I'm not really sure, but it's an interesting thing to watch going forward and, and hearing about it every weekend is pretty funny. Yeah, and I think along with that, if we like look at Silverstone by itself, you know, Sonoda had that incident kind of at the beginning where he drove around and then he left debris all over the track, mm-hmm. which ended up causing, you know, Max to have a puncture and get that stuck in the thing. Well, I mean, yes, he had ended up pitting anyways because of like the safety or the red flag and stuff like that, but like they why didn't they clear that off the track? Like, they're so concerned about, like, this black and orange flag, which is basically, you know, for those of you that don't know, the car has to come in and pit because of some kind of mechanical or bodywork issue that is unsafe for the track where they need to fix it. So, you know, at Baku, they had to tape Sonoda's rear wing. Yeah. Or, but, like, why, you know, why is FIA basically putting on this effort into, like, bringing these people in but then, like, not cleaning up the mess they actually made yeah. on the track? Yeah, it's interesting. And then the final kind of funny happening from the weekend was before going into this, this is kind of post Canada pre Silverstone kind of in between the two Horner basically gave his thoughts that FIA was being biased towards certain people and teams within the field. And if you actually go in and read the article, he basically just says that FIA is biased towards Mercedes this season and that they're like giving them the help because of the poor saying and like it's, this is all being done just because of Mercedes, which I found it hilarious after the way last year ended and everything that went down and the ruling that happened and just everything into this year too of how Fia has been with Red Bull and Ferrari too, but Red Bull specifically and how they've been kind of lenient on penalties and things like that. And so I, I thought it was just very ironic that he said all that based on how the last, you know, nine months of Formula One have gone. I don't know what your thoughts are on that though. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. And if you missed our, our, Canadian Grand Prix review we discussed a little bit about the cost cap argument and then the porpoising argument from Horner's perspective because he also had some interesting comments on on that broadcast but um, you know it is interesting to hear how quickly he thinks the FIA are jumping back and forth between preferred teams I mean you know nobody has to go back and watch the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix from last year to know that there was uh, a slight slant from the FIA, maybe but a, maybe a little preferential treatment, could, maybe a little bit, you know, just a little. If you had to twist my arm to decide which way it was going, I think it might have been yeah, towards it was Red like, Bull. It was close, so probably like 51 49 Red Bull, yeah, something like that 159 to negative 49. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, it's interesting, and and I think going forward, you know, we'll see some different perspectives on the cost cap and how they think the FIA are going to be great and because they're raising the cost cap. And yeah, that might also affect Mercedes, but it might also be affecting teams like Haas who are working on a, a much lower one. But exactly for the porpoising one, you know, it could also depend which way they go because they could very much hinder Mercedes with their ruling depending on how Mercedes is able to swoop in with the new regulations and uh, how Red Bull are potentially able to capitalize on them. But you know, time will tell with these things, and we'll see what Horner continues to have to say. And uh, as always on Drive to Survive, I'm, I'm sure we'll hear some some more fun things. Oh, yeah, for sure. So I guess, uh, you know, we're off to uh, Austria next week. Yeah. Um, what are some of your initial thoughts going into that race? Yeah, I'm super excited. I, I really like Austria as a track. I love the the short nature of it and how close a lot of qualifyings can be. And even in the race, you know, we have 
like Norris going back to last year on his last lap, you know, how, how close down to the wire it comes. And uh, it was actually the first track that I ever watched a live Formula One Grand Prix on. And you get to hear a little bit more about that on our special episode about our background uh, and our F1 history. But uh, you have to tune into that. But overall, I think I'm, I'm pretty excited to, to see it, especially with Mercedes being able to take a step forward and, and start to be in the mix. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see kind of what these different teams bring to Austria in terms of minimal upgrades. Obviously, it's only a week turnaround, so probably not much. But yeah. you know, how does Mercedes continue to build on the success they had at Silverstone and that pace they've shown? And hopefully, I think we're all hoping that they can enter back into that that top three and we could have you know six drivers in the mix for pole every week yeah um but yeah i think it's a super fun track it's it's quick it's it's very uh visually pleasing too i think just from the aerial shots above and like they're in the mountains in austria and uh you know it's mostly obviously red bull fans so there's just a lot of orange and orange smoke for max obviously and i think that's definitely one of the one of the better parts of the atmosphere is just seeing how into it the fans get and how how rapid the fans are there and it adds a little something similar to you know what Lewis and George and them got at Silverstone. Yeah, I think going back to last year again at the Austria track when he when Verstappen crossed the finish line and won and had all those orange smoke bombs and panned over to all the grandstands. That was that was quite the view. Yeah, it was that was awesome last year. And it's somewhere that Max always has gone well and uh but the Mercedes have gone well here too, obviously, in the yeah. past and have done well and um I think, you know, people that have an outside shot uh, to do well too is, is Lando. Lando's always done well here. He had a, a podium here last year, and I think a P four as well last year. Yeah, because uh, they raced there twice. And um, I think with a sprint race, it obviously being a sprint race, which we haven't said yet. You know, next weekend at Austria is a sprint race. Yeah, and so you have that sprint race on Saturday, and anything can happen during that, as we've seen. And you could have a crash or something happen that totally resets the order, or two or three. Yeah, and that can definitely play a pivotal role in deciding that order for the sprint race on Saturday and then in the you know in the sprint race itself a lot of drama can happen where you can have their order reset you could have someone have a DNF right if some one of the top four or five guys has a DNF they're starting from the back of the grid on Sunday yeah um, and so I think it throws a loop into the whole weekend where you can have some different guys up top like we saw the last sprint race where Lando ended up getting a podium out of that because of some drama that happened in the actual race but the sprint race you know allowed him to kind of stay up there and keep his spot near the top and you know capitalize on that on that error that Leclerc had and the different things that happened so I think it'll be a fun weekend I think it's I think it's good that F1 is switching around what tracks are doing these sprint races at Mm -hmm. Um, I hope they continue to that every year I definitely wouldn't want a sprint race every week and I do like the traditional qualifying format but I think it definitely is nice to have them every once in a while because it just spices it up and adds something different in and it's nice to have you know, like me and you have talked about before, it's nice to have a meaningful Friday. Yeah. Right. You know, you have qualifying on a Friday and it's nice that Friday actually means something and Saturday and Sunday, like all three days are just mm-hmm. as important. So, yeah. And I think it was a big step to add a lot more points on, on a Saturday and we'll make it a lot more interesting, but I guess you have to tune in next week to, uh, to hear our thoughts on the sprint race and hopefully a great race. And uh, we'll also have a couple other episodes to tune into. Yeah. So why don't you kind of talk about the first one that and I think you kind of already mentioned it, but if you want to, restate that for the people and then i'll go into the kind of the other two we're going to have coming up yeah so our plan is on off weekends we'll go go into uh just a shorter episode so you guys can listen to uh get a little bit of background and and maybe some laughs out of us and uh, our first one hoping to be coming up soon this next coming off off weekend will be about our f1 backgrounds and uh, how we got into f1 some of our favorite drivers some of our least favorite drivers 
if you haven't picked up on them already and uh, hopefully give you guys some good context for episodes going forward. Yeah, and so that's going to be a great episode. Definitely tune in for that. And then we're going to have two others that we have on deck so far for the next couple weeks. Uh, the first one being uh, during the summer break, we're going to do kind of a big uh, mid-season recap and just kind of go over everything that's happened so far this season, you know, where the standings are at, kind of any any major drama that's going on uh, during the offseason so far and during during silly season and kind of, you know, what's been happening basically during that, that break that the drivers have for that month in August. Uh, and then the other one, we'll be having our first guest join us on the podcast. Yeah. So uh, Tessa will be joining us. And we will be doing the Hottest Drivers episode. And so I will leave it at that. I will not go into what exactly we're going to do to keep you guys kind of on edge. But we will be doing an episode with a guest on the Hottest Drivers in Formula 1. Yeah, looking forward to it. Should be a fun one and hopefully a pretty funny one as well. Oh, yeah, that'll be a funny one for sure. All right. Well, I guess we will uh, see you guys in Austria. We'll see you in Austria. All right.